I want you to uh, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of First Chronicles, and First uh, Chronicles chapter um, and and number uh, fourteen. First Chronicles chapter uh, number fourteen. We're going to pick up at a place to where King David's at a high point in his life. I mean, he's God has just confirmed to him that he's going to be king over Israel. And uh, the people have just responded so well. Verse number 2 says, 1 Chronicles chapter 14, And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people Israel. And so David now, this is a high point. This is a high watermark. David's not only the king of Israel, but he, it's been confirmed by God that God's hand is in it. And so David's excited. This is a big moment in David's life. Then we pick up in verse number uh, 8. And, and you're going to find now, after the high point, then comes, as always, the opposition. Watch this, verse 8. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. And David heard of it and went out against them. And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. And so they came up to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there. And David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by my hand like the breaking forth of waters. And therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. And therefore David inquired again of God. And said unto him, Go up, go not up against them. And God said unto him, Go not up against them, turn away from them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle, for God is gone before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer, and the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Let's pray. Could we, Father, we love you. Bless this time. Bless this, this study. Give us the things out of thy word that, that would encourage us and give us the strength as we move forward this week. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for blessing in such a great way. Uh, this past uh, Sunday night. And Lord, I, I, I want to just, just pray for your uh, continued blessings on Mike Bradley and, and on Tim Bradley as he heals up from his accident. Lord, help his, help his leg there to heal and, and uh, him to be able to get back to normal use of it. Again, we've already prayed for Amy. Pray you'd bless her. Bless Danny, Lord, uh, Campbell there, and just give her the strength at this time that she's just need so desperately from you. Do thy work, Father. We'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. The first time that I became uh, familiar with this portion of Scripture, when I, we all read. If you read through your Bible, you read these things often. But the first time I became really deeply connected with it 
I was 19 years old and I was preaching my first revival in Manassas, Virginia. And in my preparation for that meeting, I, God brought me to this portion of Scripture. And, and so I, I preached out of this text and uh, talked about how that David had faced his archenemy, the Philistines. I entitled that message, The Mulberry Trees of God. And uh, just talked about the, some of the lessons that I had learned from that. And I want to just say this to you. There are some times in your Bible study that you learn things. It's always good for you. But there are some times in your Bible study you pick up on certain lessons that stay with you. This is one of the lessons that has stayed with me all of my life since those 19 years old, really young. But as I studied this in preparation for that revival, God embedded the lessons and the principles of this scripture and it literally has impacted my life and my journey all of these many years later. And particularly at crucial points in my life, God has given me um, a reminder of these lessons and how, how, uh, how He taught them to me at that early age. If you're familiar with the book of Judges uh, in the life of David, you are very well aware of the adversarial role that the Philistines played not only in the life of David, but in the life of the nation of Israel. They were the nemesis of Israel and uh, of God's people. They plagued them. Uh, and so from this confrontation here in the Valley of Rephaim, we're going to find some lessons that I hope you'll be able to apply as I have applied them over the years of my journey. I'm a little older than 19 now, and I've gone down the road a little bit. But man, I thank God that back in the end of my teenage years, God gave me some things that were a great help to me. So let's jump right into the lessons. Lesson number one from the Valley of Rephaim is that there will always be opposition as you move forward for God. There will always be opposition as you move forward for God. Don't ever forget that. There will always be. I want to emphasize that because sometimes we act shocked. What? Things aren't going perfect. No, they're not going to. I can't believe that. I, you know, I was really trying to do something for God and then this. No, no, no. That's the way it works. That's how Satan works. We're not ignorant of his devices, the Bible says. Paul wrote to the church at, at Corinth. And so we have to realize that there will always be. Listen, there will always be opposition as we move forward for God. Now, there were minor conflicts between Israel and the Philistines over some wells that, that, that Abraham had dug. And, and, and that's an interesting story in and of itself. But the Philistines did not really become a major threat. Back then they were just, you could call those skirmishes over wells, okay? They, they, weren't, a major, they weren't a major problem or a major threat to the nation of Israel until after Joshua had led them across the Jordan River and into the promised land to possess the land that God had promised them. And so it was during that time as they moved forward for God. Now that's a key, okay? That's a key. They're moving forward for God. They're not battling over wells. This is a major move forward from the wilderness and the death that it gave them of 40 years of wandering behind them. They're going forward for God now and all of a sudden, as they move forward for God, opposition 
arises and it, and it, it always will. Now, let me say this here because I think this is important. There's a difference between reaping the results of your bad decisions. Now, that's not opposition. I mean, it is. It is, but it's you opposing yourself. You remember in the Scripture, I think it's in the book of Galatians, where it talks about people that oppose themselves. Sometimes we oppose ourselves and we make decisions that, that are, are the worst possible decision for us. But I, I want to remind you that, that when, we talk about, when we talk about opposition, the main thing we're talking about right now is the things that devil, the devil throws in our path to keep us from moving forward. If you are sabotaging your own life and your own self with your own decisions, you, 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 you have to be careful that you face up to that and admit that. Now, now we're plagued by three areas, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Is that right? Okay. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't blame the world and don't blame the devil over what your flesh does. Now, understand the world allures you and Satan tempts you. I know that. But, but, but own up to it. Own up to it. It's not the world's fault and it's not the devil's fault. I think the devil gets credit for a lot of things that we do ourselves. So we need to be very careful uh, in regards to that. And uh, I know people that are always miserable and they think the devil's after them. The, the truth of the matter is that they're miserable and unhappy and unproductive simply because they're living a disobedient life. We're going to talk about that more uh, as we get through this study. But, but uh, the, the fault of their unhappiness and the fault of their misery and the fault of their lack of productivity as a believer is not because somebody else is causing their problems. It's because they have caused their problems. And when I counsel with people and try to help people, the first sign I look for is are they, are they owning up to and admitting, are they owning up to and admitting their own fault? Because until you get to the place to where you realize that, that, that you're the cause of your problems, you can't ever go further. So don't play the blame game. Don't blame uh, the devil or the world for the choices that you make in your flesh uh, in disobedience to God. Charles Spurgeon said this, great statement. He said this, Beware of no man more than thyself. We carry our worst enemies within us. Great statement. True statement. True statement. Be, 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 beware of no man more than yourself. Because it's within me. That's where my biggest enemy is. You know who that is? It's the man in the mirror. It's the guy that's staring back at me. I can blame my wife. I can blame Nathan, and there's certainly some valid, you know, there's a valid reason for doing that. I, I can blame other people for why I am the way I am, but, but it's, the, it's the man in the mirror. That's, that's, that's really the important thing. And so it, it wasn't until after Israel began to lay claim to the land that God had promised them that the Philistines began to threaten and harass them and made their lives miserable. And that's all throughout the book of Judges and in, in a study in the life of David. So I want to remind you of this. Whenever we attempt to move forward for God, Satan is going to see to it. Look at the life of Paul. How many times that did? He moved somewhere and the Jews chased him down. They followed him everywhere he went. So, so Satan's going to harass you and try to 
um, oppose you and stop you in your forward progress for God. And that's so very important. Paul wrote the church at Corinth about his ministry there in the city of Ephesus. And he says to them, part one, For a great and effectual door is open unto me. <laughs> that is exciting. Paul wrote him and said, hey guys, listen, you're not going to believe what's going on here. God has opened a door that is incredible. The potential that we've got in Ephesus. But that's just part A. That's part one. The second part of that verse says, and there are many, notice that word many, circle it. There are many adversaries. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. So Paul said, yeah, God's opened a great door, but I want to tell you something. Satan has sent great adversaries. Everywhere I turn, there's an adversary. They're rising up everywhere. They're fighting what we're, we're trying to go forward for God. And, and, and Satan has sent the adversaries to try, to try to keep us real. Now, let me say this. If you think, and we've learned this. I mean, come on. We've certainly learned. If you think Satan's going to give South Valley Baptist Church a free pass, that ain't happening. You don't get to pass go. You don't get to collect $200. Okay? It's not happening. This isn't monopoly. Don't work that way. The reality of the matter is simply this. He's never given us a free pass. We've had opposition over the years. We've had opposition over the years. We have. He's not going to give us a free pass now. And if you think that Satan is going to give you a free pass in your personal life to move forward, he ain't going to do it. He's going to, he's going to fight you. He's trying to stop you from growing and going for God. And so, so as you try to faithfully move forward for the Lord, Satan is going to try to discourage you. He'll oppose any person who's serving God. He'll oppose any family who is serving God. And he'll oppose any church that is serving God. Now, let me say this to you, and then we go to my next point. Don't let that shake you. Well, the devil, the devil's after me. No, no, come on. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it's okay. It's okay. I remember when I went over to India, and I won't go through the story again because I, I think most of you know it, but I went to India, and they were marching in the street. We're in the stadium preaching. And again, the first night the mayor was there, and, man, it was great. It was just, I mean, they, it, was, it was really a, a good night. The next night nobody was there on the platform, and the Hindus were marching in the streets. They were passing out leaflets the third night, calling for our execution. People were just shaking and pinballing. But, but it, it, and I thank God for the, for the measure of faith that He gave me because I didn't come there to be overwhelmed by the opposition. I came there to move forward for God. And so I want to tell you, God did incredible things. And... and um, in, in the face of opposition, I saw the hand of God, and I personally felt the assurance and the calmness that God gives, and I'm so very, very grateful that greater is He that is in us. I don't care what they're throwing at you. God's greater than your giants. God's greater than your, your enemy. Whatever the opposition is, many adversaries, that's okay. God's, God's greater. God took 1% of what Gideon had to start with and defeated perhaps what was maybe the greatest army that ever had been amassed against Israel. One percent. One percent of what he started out with. And God won the victory. That's, that's vital. Number two, first of all, there will always be opposition as you move forward for God. Number two, 
the war will not end in this life. Chip, write that down. That's an exciting thought. Go home and talk about that tonight. Man, we're glad we went to church tonight. The pastor said this never ends. I am so excited about that. That means whatever we're going through today. No, no. Here's the reality of the matter is God brings good times to balance things out. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad it's just not perpetual? Sometimes it seems perpetual. But, but listen, we have to be realist. And when I say that, we have to realize, look, this life itself is a battle. Don't be a quitter. Don't cop out. Don't fold up tent. Don't curl up in a fetal position. Don't climb under a table. Don't hide in a cave, okay? Don't take a vow of poverty and walk into the wilderness never to be seen again. Don't, don't look, just stay calm. Because again, greater is he that is in us than he, uh, than, than he that is in the world. And, and so the, the, the battle does not end. Now, think of David. Let's, all right, we just read it, all right? So here's what David does. Philistines spread themselves everywhere. Good night, look at all the Philistines. They're everywhere. And God says, go. And they went and they won. And it's sort of like, wow, that was great. Don't you wish life was like that? Well, David enjoyed it. How'd you like life to be a one and done? Okay. Wow, I got victory over the flesh. Yeah, but you'll need victory over the flesh tomorrow. That's why Paul said, I die when? Daily. Okay. You don't, you don't just win it once. Okay. You don't just win it once. It, the, the reality of the matter is there are daily battles and, 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 and sometimes bigger battles that come along every so often. And, and, and you get tired. You feel like, I, I, wish I, could, I, I wish I could just get the victory over this once and for all. Well, just, just hang in there. Just stay faithful, stay faithful to God. One of the funny things to me about history, and I say funny, I mean that in a very tragic way, is that politicians gathered on the rolling hills outside of Washington, D.C. and Richmond in a little place called Manassas, Virginia, and they thought that first Manassas or first bull run would settle the war. And so all of these political, I would use the word dummy, but I don't like to use that, especially since we're live stream, so I will not say the word dummy. Idiots. That were, that were the political leaders of their day gather on these hills and they think, we're going to watch the war. We're going to watch the war. It's going to be over today. Everybody was excited. They were actually having picnics watching the war. No, 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 my friend. Didn't end in one day. Neither will our battle uh, in this life. Psalm 119, verse 98. Listen to this scripture. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than I, mine enemies. Watch this. You, he said, God, your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. Watch this. For they are ever with me. They're ever with me. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They're with me. My enemies, it seems like every time I look around, God, I'm thankful for your word because your word made me wiser than them. But they're always here. That's what David is saying. It's always enemies on the horizon. And, and we, have to, we have to recognize that and, and uh, never go on leave. 
look at me, never let your guard down. I told you this story before. My older brother was a boxer in the Navy, and he's working out with me. We boxed, my whole family did. So I, we were a kid, we were in the ring, and, and he's there, and he said, he's working out and showing me some things. He said, all right, drop your hands. I dropped my hands. He popped me with the right hand, a right cross, and, and I saw stars. I mean, I'm talking, I fell back, and I saw stars. I mean, just everything just went. And when I, when I came back to my senses, I was furious. Now, he was much older than me and much better than me, so I couldn't exactly act out my fear. I was furious. Why in the world did you do that? He said, never, ever, never. When you're in the ring, you never drop your guard. That's a great lesson in life. I saw Mac Foster get knocked cold by Jerry Quarry when the bell rang. You know why? He dropped his, he dropped his guard. He woke up on the mat. And I want to tell you, listen to me. I don't care when it is or what you're doing, don't drop your guard. You go on vacation, don't, you don't vacation from God, don't drop your guard. Don't drop your guard on vacation. Don't drop your guard in the holiday season. Things are hard. No, don't drop your guard. Well, th culture's changing, but don't drop your guard. Just stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself uh, with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So don't, don't listen to me. Don't, don't, don't drop your guard. Keep your guard up. Stay faithful to the Lord. There's no time to lay down your weapon. This is no time to grow weary in well-doing. We'll reap in due season if we faint not. So stay faithful with the Lord. Number three, lesson number three. Ready? Here it is. The opposition strikes when we least expect it. Okay? The opposition strikes when we least expect it. In boxing, you have a corner man. The corner man's outside the ring, and he's watching in, and he's watching what's happening. Okay? So if you drop your right hand, you, you get, you're, you're a sucker for his left hand. You drop your left hand, you're going to get hit with an overhand right. So your corner man is watching what you're doing, and he's telling you. You know what our corner man is? Our corner man is this book right here. You know what it tells you? What you're doing wrong. So as I read my Bible in the morning, I read it like, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, forgot about that one. I've got to get my guard up. I've I got I to get my right hand up. I've got, I got, got to stay true to the Lord. Because here's the deal. The opposition, the opposition strikes when we least uh, expect it. I think it's clear that David was sort of soaking in the thrill of victory, grateful that he escaped the agony of defeat. So here he is. They won. Philistines spread themselves abroad in the valley of Rephaim. God, shall I go? Go. Victory's ours. Yes, we beat them. They're high-fiving. They're having a great time. They're enjoying this. He's, sweet and, he's sipping sweet tea, eating boiled peanuts. Okay, wow. That's uh, middle of the week. I can tell that you're not really spiritual tonight. But anyhow, what better thing to do than sweet tea and boiled peanuts? Colby, can I hear a witness? Thank you. All right. So, so yeah, it, it's, and, and, and the reality of the matter is he's sort of right now on autopilot, Okay. He's got the victory in his hat. But boy, there's a statement in the book of Job, chapter 15, verse 21, that is so powerful. Listen to this statement. In prosperity, 
the destroyer shall come upon thee. L listen to that verse. In prosperity. What does that mean when everything's going good? Things are at their best. We think, boy, I'm down. I'm down and out. Boy, the, the devil's after me. No, 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 no. He gets you when things, when you're really doing good, that's probably when you're on the least lookout. When everything's clicking, when everything's hitting on all cylinders, it's all going great. In prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon thee. If you'll check your Bible out from cover to cover, you'll find out that's absolutely spot on. It's the truth. It's the truth. When we need least to look out for Him is when we need most to look out for Him. In other words, when everything's going great, that's where you better keep your eye open because Satan, Satan will, will, will do that. Let, let, me, let me give you some scripture. Here, here's good. Matthew 3, 17. All right? That's the last verse in Matthew chapter 3. Verse 17 is. All right, you ready? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Here it is. And a voice... And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, this is the life of Jesus. And Jesus was baptized of John in Jordan, and it was a high point of, of, of His, of, of his uh, ministry. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was a great time. The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's, that's an exciting moment for everybody that was watching. Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Voice of God comes from, you got the Trinity right there. You got God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and so, I mean, right there, that's, a, that's an exciting, iconic moment in the life of Jesus Christ. Next verse is chapter 4, verse 1 of Matthew. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Isn't that unique? What is God teaching us there? He's teaching us this in the life of Christ and, and so many other. The, the Bible's full of illustrations. I don't have time to go through all of them. But He's teaching us from the life of our Savior that after a high point, you better be on guard. Because I'm going to tell you, Satan will nail you. I talked about India a while ago. I came back from India spent. Totally spent. I rode a train. We flew into, we flew into um, uh, Miami. Got a ride to Orlando. Rode a train from Orlando into Jessup, Georgia. Slept. I was just exhausted. Just shot. When I got back, after having dealt with people that... <laughs> Got up at five in the morning and rode an ox cart to get to church. Women that were beaten not by their husbands but by the village for going to church. Hindu women. One woman who had a child that was seven months old, three months, or ten months old, three months ago, or, or excuse me, seven months ago, her husband had walked out on her when her child was three, three, three months old because she'd trusted Christ at Victory Baptist Church in Bangalore. And I came home and people were complaining about why they couldn't make it to church. Man, there's a, there's a guy over here. He's got a Cadillac. He's, he's a mile and a half from church. 
and, and he can't come to church. And, and, and when I visited him, he said, Preacher, I, I'm, I know about you, but the devil's been at my house lately. I wanted to ask his wife to leave the room so I could slap him. I mean, really? I mean, the reality of the matter is I was at a, such a high point. When I got back, I really, I'm going to be honest with you, I bottomed out. Man, I struggled. And God, the Holy Spirit, in my prayer life had to remind me, no, 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 no. No, you're not, you don't pastor in India. You're pastoring here. And, and though he used me in India, and that was his will, this is where I had to deal with the reality of what was before me. And, and I've often told young men that told me they were going on a mission trip or something to be careful. Because when you get back, you're going you're gonna to see God do some things while you're gone. It's going to be incredible. But when you get back, when you get back, the adversary will be there. Lesson um, uh, is, is simply that opposition strikes when we least expect it. And, and, and so don't ever forget that. That's an important thing. Number four. Here it is. Lesson number four, the formula for victory never changes. Okay? Now, I want you to jump back. Look with me, would you? Let's go back to chapter number uh, uh, 14. Okay? So, he's defeated the Philistines. Everybody with me? He's defeated the Philistines. You all here? Thank both of you. All right. So, he's defeated. Let me get Watch verse 13. And the Philistines yet, what's that next word? Verse number 13. What is it? Again, uh-oh, so they're coming after him again. You know what the word again means? It means again, okay? It means another time. So they've already whipped, he's beat them, and here they are again. All right, so David, what are you going to do? Verse 14, then David inquired, what's the next word? Again, again of God. So look at me, listen to me. The formula for victory never changes. Never changes. Pastor, could you give us the formula for victory? Okay, you ready? The Lord. Did you get that? The Lord. What's the difference when David waded into the valley of Elah? The Lord. That's the difference. What's the difference? What's the difference when David fought? The, who, who did David inquire of? God, should I go? Yes. Okay, boom. So what should David do now that he's got another familiar problem with an old familiar foe? What should David do? Okay, God, I won the victory last time with you. Now I'm going to handle this one myself. No. You know, you ever heard the old dragnet? Dum, 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 dum. Well, I think... I sang. I actually sang over live stream. That's amazing. Anyhow, uh, you, you, I mean, really, sometimes we're that not intelligent. <laughs> we're not smart. Why would we do anything else? If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So David goes to God, and, and God gives him the victory. And, 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 and so why would David... Facing another problem with the same nemesis, why would David try any other formula? And why do we? Why is it that when God has blessed us and helped us and given us answers to our struggles, why do we try our way? All of a sudden, God blesses, God blesses, God blesses, God blesses. 
boom, we try our way. Why do we do that? How does that make sense? That we all of a sudden figure out, okay, God's given me the victory throughout my life, but you know what? I think today I'm just going to try Dean's way. I just going to see what Dean can do. And Dean's going to get crushed is what's going to happen to Dean. And you will too. How many of you have had God give you victory in your life? At some, yeah, sure you have. Every one of us. At some point, God's helped you in your life. Why go anywhere else? Why try to do it on our own? Doesn't make sense. Now, let me give you an important note. Because somewhere between verses 10 and 14, something happened that allowed David to keep his spiritual sharpness to seek God again. Okay, look with me in verse number 12. He's talking about the Philistines. And when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. Now, there's two significant things in that. Number one, David did not accumulate worldly wealth for himself. Number one, he didn't mess around with worldly things. Had he collected the gods? Let me tell you what, David, David was on the verge of getting whooped in the second battle in the Valley of Rephaim. Well, wait a minute. You know what those gods were? Basically, to a conquering king, they were trophies. There were trophies that said, I did it. Hey, hey guys, let me, let, me, let, me, let me show you what I won. Let me show you what I won. And he pulls out some souvenir. My uncle George Porter had a Luger that he took off of a German when he landed at Normandy. Man, man, I've always wanted to hold that Luger. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a trophy. I've seen pictures that guys have taken off German soldiers in battles. And, and, and sometimes you walk a Civil War battlefield, and I, I read of a guy that went out into the woods, and he found, he, Chip, he found the saber stuck through a tree. The tree had grown up over it. I don't know how that happened, but the saber's sticking out of the tree. I've got a 12-pound Napoleon cannonball that was fired out of a smoothbore uh, cannon in the Civil War. Those are mementos. So what's David, what is it, what's happening here? They left souvenirs behind. They left bragging rights behind. So David, David now, David could say, hey, guys, collect what you want. You know how many young men I started the ministry out with on our face before God, begging God to use us? Oh, dear God, please, please, please use us. We'd write letters to each other when we weren't in school, dreaming about how God could use us for His glory. And then somewhere down the line, we get stupid. And we start collecting idols, mementos of things we've done. God does great things, but no, no, the, let me tell you what I've done. No, it's, it's not what we've done, it's, it's what God did. I, I think of Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. The Bible says that his name was spread abroad for he was marvelously helped, listen to this next phrase, till he was strong. What does that mean, till he realized? It's me. That's what he thought. No, no, no. 
Well, God blessed him until he, until he got to the place where he thought he was the man. He was the man. And then it says in verse 16, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. So when you start thinking you can handle life your way, on your terms, against your enemies, you are, look, listen to me, you're, you're headed for trouble. You're headed for trouble. Lesson number five, wait on God before doing anything. Now, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is so important. Listen to me. Listen to me. Wait on God before doing anything. Did you know, did you know this? Did you know that one of the overlooked factors in the will of God is not the where, but the when? Everybody's concerned about the where. Well, God, where, where, where should I, where, where? It's not just the where, it's the when. We were coming out here. We, we, planned on being, we planned on being in Idaho in August. And everything just started collapsing. We couldn't get the guy to bring our furniture out. It, it, was, it was a dear friend, but he couldn't get it out because he had things going. It was a mess, we thought. So we sat at the table and I said to Susie, I said, look, we might as well just cool our jets because we're not getting there in August. It's not going to happen. That's clear. It's not happening. So we might as well calm down, let this thing work its way through. And see when God will get us there. Well, her dad died. So we were able to go spend some time with the family. She was able to be at the funeral. It was a lot easier on us being on the East Coast. We didn't know that was going to happen, but God did. When we moved out here, we, we, we got, I, I, got a rent, I came out, got a rental house. We moved out, got here the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And, and we didn't have a meeting place. Didn't get a meeting place till a couple of weeks into December when I met uh, Amy Wilson. And Amy, we talked and she became a good friend to our church and gave us a good deal on the building. And just, she said to me, she said, have you been praying for me? I said, yeah, I have because we couldn't afford the price to start with. And she just said, okay, the Lord told me. And, and we met there for eight years. Had I been here earlier, we wouldn't have done that. Listen to me. Listen. If I had been here later, where would Max and Carolyn be going to church? We put a flyer on the door of Jim and Lisa McHugh. They came. Where would they have been going? I don't know. But we, we wouldn't have had the privilege of, of, of getting to know Jim and Lisa. So I'm just simply saying, you know what? Listen to me. The overlooked factor in the will of God is, is, is not the where. That's what we always focus on. It's the when, the timing of God. And so, so David, God told David again, God, David again inquired of God. And God said, no, 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 don't go straight forward this time. Go over there. See those mulberry trees? I want you to go, under, go, go sit under the mulberry trees. And when you hear the sound of going, that, that word literally means this, the clanking of the march. The clanking of the march in the mulberry trees? Yeah, when the mulberry trees are stirred, that invisible army that is going to battle with you, they're moving. And God said, when you hear the the sound of going. Do you know how many times in my life I've gotten on my face before God and I've said, Oh dear God, please let me hear the sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees. 
Would you please make it clear to me when? Lord, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want guesswork. Let me hear the sound of going. Let me know when you want me to, to move and to make this step for you. And boy, I want to tell you, God has answered that prayer so many times. Let me give you some verses that you're not going to like. Are you ready? Okay, you ready? Yep. These are verses you don't want to write down. Do not memorize these verses because you will not like them. Here we are. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 34, Wait on the Lord, and keep His way, and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Proverbs 20, verse 22, Say not thou, I will recompense evil. Wait a minute, I'm not going to get even with you, but wait on the Lord, and He shall save thee. Waiting isn't something that comes natural to us, is it? How many of you will be honest say, I love waiting? No, nobody likes waiting. We don't want to wait. We want to move forward. We want to, we want to, we want to move forward for the Lord and, and any, in, in any other area of our life. But let me tell you what happens to you. After you've been saved a little while and you learn to wait on God, this is what happens. Listen, um, you grow, listen, you grow by knowing. It's growing by knowing. It's growing by knowing that His timing is best. You know who knows the timing in Sean's life better than Sean does? God. You know who knows the timing better in Ron's life than Ron does? It's God. You know who knows the timing better in my life than I do? God. God does. So we have to we have to grow by the knowledge that God knows not just where, but when. That's very important. Lesson number six, obedience always precedes victory. Obedience always precedes victory. David obeyed God and God gave the victory. Okay, Obedience always precedes victory. Listen to this statement. This is important. Victory is a byproduct of obedience. Here's what we pray. God, give me victory. You know, God, God, I want victory. No, no, no. Victory comes not in and of itself. Victory comes by obedience. You know, victory's in the box. When you open obedience, victory's in that box. So it's all in there. It's all included. Okay? So when you obey and you rip into obedience, you know what you're going to find in the middle of that package? Victory. It's a byproduct of obeying God. Let's give the other side of the coin. You ready? Here's the other side of the coin. Disobedience always precedes failure. In the life of a believer, when you disobey, guess what's happening to you? Eh, you got trouble. Okay? So disobedience precedes failure. You remember, you remember when King Saul 
was told to defeat the Amalekites and he kept Agag and the sheep alive and the, the, the oxen. And so he came and he said, uh, he saw Samuel and he said, I have obeyed the Lord. I have done as God's man hath said. And Samuel said, really? What meaneth the lowing of the sheep, lowing of the oxen and the bleeding of the sheep then? If you've done what God told you to do, what am I hearing in the background? And this is what Samuel said. Listen to this statement. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Listen to the next verse. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath rejected thee from being king. You know what Saul did not do? Saul didn't go out and say, you know, you got a tattoo. You know, Samuel, I got a tattoo. What's your tattoo? I'm my own man right here. I mean, he was rebellion. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like he did. What did he, what, what was rebellion? It was disobedience. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, God said, that's what I call rebellion. It's not like, it's not like that he, he, he went out and did some crazy thing. It's not what he did. It's what he did not do. It wasn't the sin of commission. It was the sin of omission. Samuel wasn't rebellious because of what he did. Samuel was rebellious because of what he did not do. When God tells us to do something and we don't do it, God said, hmm, that's rebellion. And wait a minute. That is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, what if you preach that in church and really nail that down? I, I want to go to a church that tells me, if I don't do what God tells me to do, it's like witchcraft. People say, wow, he is a narrow-minded. No, no, that's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. That's what God said. Can I tell you something that, that I believe with every fiber in me? I believe this with every fiber in me. If Jesus pastored a church in America today, there wouldn't be a whole lot of people that would want to go. You know why? Because one crowd would say, he's too hard. He called me a whited sepulcher last Sunday. Our whole section over there, he said, that group right there, y'all are a generation of vipers. Then there would be a group that came and said, we wanted to kill some people today. We're going to stone them to death. And you know what? He... He showed them grace and said, Ye that are without the first, let him cast a, uh, without sin, let him cast the first stone. And, 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 and another group would say, We wanted to call fire down from heaven on the liberals in this church. And Jesus said, You know not what spirit you are. I don't think anybody would go to Jesus' church. Somebody would find something to be mad about. Obedience always precedes victory. Last of all, and I close, and that's simply this. This is, this is important. Then I'm going to wrap it up. Listen, if the battle is right, it's the Lord's. Lesson number seven. If the battle is right, it's the Lord's. Now don't blame every battle on Him. Can I, can I tell you, I've been in some battles in my life that weren't God's. They were dings. Okay? If the battle's right, Paul said that what? He said, I fought a good fight. You know what we think that means? Man, I, man, I hit him. I fought a, I just, I was there. I had my guard. I was, I fought a, 
I fought a great fight. It's not what that's talking about. I have fought a good fight. Sometimes that's not just how we fight, but it's why we fight. See? And so, so not every fight's a good fight. There's some battles that you can involve yourself in that aren't, that aren't good battles. It's a fleshly cause to give glory to yourself. And the outcome is carnal. Don't expect God, don't expect God to be a part of your battles that you cause and that you fight. I have people ask me all the time, why won't God kill my sister-in-law? I mean, they're not saying it in those words, but I got an aunt that she disrupts every family reunion. Why does God let her live? You know? You ever think, come on. You ever, you ever get to the place you're like, I can't believe. Tell you one thing, if I was God, they wouldn't be here around here. Sometimes our fights are for ourselves, not, not for the Lord. If it's a good, if the battle is right, listen to me, if the battle's right, can I just say it this way? God will wade into the trenches with you. If the battle's right, God will get in the trenches with you and you'll, you'll get the victory. I'm grateful I'm grateful for these lessons because there's been times I thought, man, that's over. <laughs> I got the victory there. And then sure enough, it's like, really? Again? Are you kidding me? I just went through this. I'm tired of this. I don't want to fight this anymore. And God just said, oh, just stay with me and I'll give you the victory. I'm grateful for that. Let's pray. Father, bless us and help us and use us. I pray, God, that you would help us to realize this life is filled with battles and enemies and hardships and difficulties. Help us, Lord. Help us that we would stay faithfully true to you. Burn these lessons from thy word on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.